Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of James Talks. I'm really uh, pleased to be with you again today and um, yeah we have another guest on today. Um, um, a friend of mine, somebody I've known for quite a long time and met a few years ago as well, um, Christine Sign of Mustard Seed Associates. So welcome Christine, it's great to have you with us. It's wonderful to be with you James. Um, yeah, so Christine is, um, well she's a lots of things. Um, uh, she runs this organisation called Mustard Seed Associates. She is an author, a blogger, um, and yeah, she's got so much wisdom and stuff on on spirituality, on the rhythms of life, on spiritual practices, and loads of other things. And um, it's going to be, I'm really looking forward to talking to to you, Christine. It's going to be great. So um, oh, thank you, thank you. So just tell us a bit of your story, your background, and kind of what you do, and you know where you got to where you are now. Okay, well, um, my story begins in Australia um, and uh, grew up in a family with three brothers, uh, trained as a medical doctor, moved to New Zealand, was in general practice in New Zealand for a few years, and then joined um, Mercy Ships, or at that point in time, you know, what was actually a part of Youth with a Mission, um, flew in 1980, the end of 1980, to Greece, to join uh, the Anastasis and to was involved really from the beginnings of Mercy Ships in setting up the whole medical ministry. I spent 12 years on board the ship, um, you know, amazing years, uh, crazy in some ways. I'm one of those lucky people who never got over being seasick. In fact, the first book that I wrote was called Tales of a Seasick Doctor because, and it was the recounting of my 12 years on board the ship, because I just never got over being sick. But I had that incredible privilege of literally practicing medicine uh, all over the world. Wow. I worked in um, Asia, I worked for a short period of time in, in the refugee camps in Thailand, on the Thai-Cambodian border, and, and that was actually, I see it as the pivotal point of my life. Uh, because I think it was that experience, it was just a few weeks, but really what it did was it started me thinking about faith in broader terms. I think I'd grown up in a situation where I'd been well grounded in what it meant to be a Christian from a personal perspective, but hadn't really had to face up to the implications in terms of my responsibility to the rest of the world. And I can tell you, working in refugee camps will certainly make you face up to that. Um, and so it was the start of a um, sometimes extremely challenging journey of grappling with, in, you know, my own self-centeredness, uh, the narrowness of my faith in many ways, but also, you know, kind of what it meant to be a person who was concerned about all of God's people and even all of God's creation. Um, and so, you know, that was, as I said, the, the pivotal point. That was in 84. Um was on the ship, continued on the ship, and was involved with setting up, as I said, the ministry to do cleft lip and palate, eye surgery, medical and dental work, worked in Central and South America, the Caribbean Islands, and then Africa. And then in 1991, uh, well, I developed chronic fatigue syndrome. Uh, wow. And at that point, realized that I wasn't going to be able to keep working on this ship. In fact, um, you know, it was, was quite severely ill for a while um and uh, my friends laughingly say that you know this was the way that god 
are used to help me notice other things. And right. particularly to notice a man by the name of Tom Sign, uh, who I actually married about six months into my bout with chronic fatigue syndrome uh, and moved to Seattle and have lived in Seattle then ever since. Um, and as you can imagine, you know, this episode of my illness really made me face up to some other things in my life. Basically, you know, why had I gotten this illness? Uh, which I think in many ways, at least for me, and, you know, I mean, I could get into the medical details that I know about chronic fatigue syndrome or ME, as I think it's still better known in, mm. um, in Britain. And, um, uh, but, it, you know, the question that it came up for me was, could I have prevented this? Uh, what could I have done to change, uh, you know, what happened to me? And even though I'm not sure I could have avoided getting the ME, I think that part of what it did was it faced me up to the fact that I was one of these people who had a tendency uh, not just to burn the candle at both ends, but to burn it in the middle as well. I mean, I just had mm. had a frantically busy life, didn't really know what it was to balance my life, and really had very little rhythm, you know, in terms of that balance. And so it was out of that that I started to get interested in spiritual rhythms, uh, to look at, um, you know, how did Jesus spend his time and realize mm. that, you know, he didn't work 24-7. Uh, you know, he had time for prayer. He had time for friends. Um, you know, he had time for other things. And I think, in fact, I think that probably the rhythm of monastic communities probably came in to a certain extent from asking that same question and looking back at the life of Jesus and saying, how should we kind of set up the rhythm of our lives? Um, and, and recognizing we need a balance between work and rest, uh, between, you know, the spiritual and the secular, uh, between feasting and fasting, um, you know, kind of these are the balances um, that I think God intends for our lives between community and solitude as well. That's another balance that I've, I've seen over the years is very important. So, mm. you know, it was this that kind of in a way set the trajectory uh, for the next phase of my life. And, of course, for, you know, what I've been involved in in the last, well, particularly 20 years, uh, the first book that I wrote on spiritual rhythms was a book that was called, um, well, became called God Space, uh, and out of which my blog grew, uh, and a lot of the things that have flowed out of that as well. And, um, you know, I continue to explore new ways to express the rhythm of our lives, and I think the, the beautiful kind of um, pace of life that I think God really intends for us as well. Um, and, uh, one of the important aspects of that for me has been the discovery of Celtic Christianity. Um, Tom, my, my husband Tom, had been interested in Celtic Christian spirituality for many years, going back into the 80s. I think that was when he made his first visit to Iona. And oh, he took wow. me there on our honeymoon, which was wonderful. You know, that was really my first exposure to Celtic Christian spirituality. And um, it was like it... it, it gave life to something in me that I'd never recognized before. Um, you know, I think particularly having worked in Africa, uh, one of the questions that that had raised for me was, um, you know, for, for Africans, it's like 
spirituality impacted every part of life. You know, they had um, everything they saw as having some kind of spirituality to it. So, you know, there were always spiritual questions that they wanted to ask. And I left Africa very much thinking, you know, is Christianity as all-embracing of life as the animistic practices that I saw some of the people I met in Africa uh, being a part of? Mm. And I became very aware of the fact that a lot of the way that I'd learned to practice my spirituality didn't express that. Yeah, uh, you know, it, it was like prayed in the morning. You know, read my Bible, went off to work. I mean, even sure. when I was on the ship, and often didn't give God another thought for the rest of the day, kind of thing. You yeah. know, and I think that's pretty typical. Yeah, um, it is. Of, yeah, <laughs> yeah, of a lot of the way that that Western spirituality, Christian spirituality, um, is shaped. But Celtic spirituality wasn't like that, you know. I mean, they had prayers for everything, from getting up in the morning, kindling the fire, uh, making the bed, you know, going on a journey. Everything had some kind of spiritual dimension to it. And it was this that I just really grabbed onto and I thought, wow, this is not only what I need, but I wish I'd had it to share with the people I worked with in Africa because this is something that would make them come to life too, you know, because of this spirituality that went through all of life. So it was a very important kind of discovery for me um, and is something that has grown in interest for me because it really has, uh, in many different dimensions, exposed me to this broader understanding of faith that, that has enriched me uh, and I think has enriched many others as well. So. Yeah, I, I just love Celtic Christian spirituality. Yeah, that was very good. Oh, that was actually going to be my next kind of question, really. Like talking, um, <laughs> well, that's a very talking abbreviated about... form. So if you like, I can, can share some more details. Yeah, no, but what I want to, really want to talk about, one of the things that I'm really passionate about is um, the rhythms of life and, uh-huh. you know, Sabbath. And I'm writing a lot about that at the moment and thinking a lot about that. And, and you know, my own kind of journey at the moment, I'm you know, I'm in that kind of point where I'm standing back and reassessing everything, you know, and... I would say I've done that three or four times in my life. Yeah, I think... it's so important. I don't think you can do it just once, yeah. Um, (laughs) Maybe it's part of learning or something, because I've had to do it more than once, but, yeah, no, it's very important to do that, yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, one of the things that I'm thinking about is Sabbath and what I've been learning about Sabbath. Um, is um, from what I've looked at, you know, the, uh, the the history of the scriptures and and, and science. Of, this is like a rhythm that you build your life around. That it's not like you have the rest of your week and then you have Sabbath. It's like Sabbath is what you begin and end with. It's it's what everything else revolves around, you know. And it's like stopping and re- it's not just resting, but it's stopping and making space for God and. Um, yeah, that kind of thing. So, how does that? I mean, how does that kind of principle work itself out in your life, and what, and how you live now? Well, you know, I don't know if you've read Abraham Heschel's little book on Sabbath. Oh yes, I have. Yes, yeah, yeah. I mean, you brilliant. know, and there's a line that he uses in that. He says, you know, basically, and it's a while since I've read it, so I'm probably getting this wrong. But he says, you know, that Sabbath is a glimpse into eternity, or it's meant to be a glimpse into eternity. So Sabbath in some ways is meant to be, you know, um, kind of coming as close as we possibly can to what we think life is 
as God intended it to be. And then the rest of the week is meant to be basically spent working towards how can we make the next Sabbath more of a glimpse into eternity, not just for us personally, uh, but for others as well. And, and I love that kind of a, an image of Sabbath because it says to me, okay, you know, firstly, what do I think eternity looks like? And I don't think it looks like all of us sitting on the clouds thinking on harps or anything, you know, those kind of images that kind of actually I think make many of us, um, you, you know, want to not want to go into eternity rather than wanting to go into eternity. But I think for me, you know, the concept of, of Sabbath has been very much linked to God's desire to see all things made whole. Mm. And so Sabbath is meant to be a glimpse into the wholeness that God intends for us. And that wholeness, you know, is, um, you know, basically it's a world in which everybody is provided for, in which all of us are able to sit at peace, as it were, uh, in comfort without, um, you, you know, kind of with adequate food, with adequate shelter, with adequate everything, you know, for a, for a well-balanced life. We're not meant to have to slave 12 to 15 hours a day, um, you know, on the Sabbath day or any other day in order to provide for ourselves and our family. Uh, we're not meant to sit in polluted environments. You know, we're not meant to be in discord with our neighbours near and far. Uh, and so, you know, when the when we say that the world revolves around, you know, time is meant to revolve around the Sabbath, I think that's what it, it means, that, mm. you know, the rest of the week is meant to be focused on how can we bring glimpses of God's wholeness into our own lives, you know, because we've got to work on our own inner wholeness, but into mm. the lives of others and into the desired wholeness of God's creation as well. So, yeah, that's been a real inspiration for me. Um, you know, that kind of linking together the concepts of shalom, wholeness, and Sabbath, I suppose you could say, um, and kind of looking at how that can be practiced. Uh, the rhythms of life definitely come into it. Um, and here I have learned a lot from my interactions with the garden. You know, um, I have, since I've settled in Seattle, become a passionate gardener. Uh, and become mm. more passionate all the time, partly because of the fact that I see in it a living out of the story of God. Um, you know, it's mm. fascinating to me. You, you know, gardening um, is hard work, but it's not hard work 12 months of the year. You know, if we kind of get into the rhythm of what the garden is all about, you know, there is a mm. huge burst of industry in the spring. Yeah. When we're planting, we're getting the soil ready and everything then the summer has a tendency to be a season where, you know, we can sit back and admire things. Uh, everything's growing, but we're not the ones making it grow. God's making it grow. And we, you know, our um, job is to keep it watered, maybe give it a oh little bit of fertilizer, but it's not a really busy season. Oh, and then, my of course, word. I just, I, just, I just saw the metaphor there. Oh my word, that's crazy, isn't it? Like you, God's making it grow. Like as in, you plant the seeds, and then you have to let you have to stand back and let God make them grow. That is exactly yes, and, and oh. isn't that liberating? Yeah, 
Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> yeah. I, it's, you know, I mean, I've learned so many lessons from the garden. Um, you know, I, I wrote a book you may remember called To Garden With God that came, you know, reflections that came out of the garden and actually, uh, you know, thinking about mm. writing another one in conjunction with my colleague Andy Way. And part of the reason for that is that I just keep learning from the garden, you know, from that basic rhythm. Yeah, you sit back and you watch things grow. And then in the due season, you harvest, um, you know, and usually that harvest is so abundant that, um, you know, when the harvest of God comes in, it's usually so abundant that either you try to use it all yourself and usually find you're throwing half of it out because it goes rotten, uh, or you share it, you know, and I think, wow, this says something about God too, you know, that God provides an abundant harvest that has got to be shared to be properly used. And then, of course, after the, the harvest, you know, the winter season is a season of rest. And I think we forget that. We forget that there are seasons that build into God's world of rest. Yeah. Uh, and that God intends for us to have seasons of rest. You know, we're not meant to go. We live in a world, unfortunately, in which we're not used to that kind of rhythm. You know, we go to the supermarket. We expect to find apples 12 months of the year. You know, mm. that's not the way the harvest is, though. No. Uh, and unfortunately, it teaches us something, sometimes subconsciously, but I think it teaches us something that is not only unrealistic, but is not the way God intends it to be. Because we think that, you know, we've got to be producing, 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 and eating, eating, eating 12 months of the year, yeah. you know. Yeah. And it's not so. Um, so the garden continues to be a tremendous inspiration to me of, mm. of the way that God intends us to live. Um, yeah, yeah. And living towards the wholeness of God too. Absolutely, I just, I love it. I just, I was gonna. It's funny because you keep preempting the questions. I'm gonna. Uh, <laughs> that's good. That's good. I love it. I must prefer it this way. It's, it's, you know, because we talk about Sabbath and the rhythms of life and you know the rhythms of our daily lives because we all, you know, most of us have a job. Most of us, um, you know, we work from Monday to Friday, nine to five, whatever. Um, and um, we, um, you know, then we come home and we do whatever we've got at home and we have the weekend and that's it, you know, and we don't, but, you know, we're, we live in a world which is so, everything's so fast and um, a culture of scarcity where, you know, we have advertising and marketing which tells us, which basically is designed to tell us that we don't have something that we should have, basically. Yeah. Um, and... Yeah, and along comes kind of um, the Jesus way of thinking, which is actually that you're enough. You don't need anything. You're you're enough as you are. You don't have to. You don't have to um, do anything. It's not what you do. It's just that you are you are loved and accepted and belong as you are, yes. and you're yeah. enough already before you did anything. You know that, like Jesus, when he gets baptized, you know God says, "I'm pleased." You know, you're my beloved son, and I'm pleased with you. And Jesus hasn't done anything. You know. Um, you know, he hasn't done anything to do with his calling anyway, um, and which we often miss, and we often miss that kind of thing. And yeah, and that's the and the Sabbath where it's you know like you just stop and you just listen and you allow the seeds to to grow in a sense, you know. And um, and it's it's just a fascinating and 
it's just a fascinating con contrast and, and, and how that ties in and the next question I was going to ask was about how that all ties in with the seasons you know the actual uh -huh. physical seasons of the of, you know the planet that we live on um, and how they fit with the seasons of life and also the liturgical calendar as well Mm -hmm. Well, and of course, the liturgical calendar was designed around the agricultural year, you know, and the thing that interests me um, with the liturgical calendar that is that it doesn't start in the spring with Easter. <laughs> it mm -hmm. starts, you know, in the winter, in the season of waiting, you know, and I think that that, that has spoken a lot to me, you know, that so often... Um, the things that God is wanting to produce in our lives, you know, starts with the season of waiting. Um, in fact, in nature, you know, spring is not the time of planting. In nature, really, the autumn is the time of planting. You know, I mean, the seeds are scattered. <laughs> They're thrown into the soil. And then what happens? They sit. Nothing. You know, they, they, they lay dormant over the, over the winter. Uh, until, you know, in its due season and the right time, um, you know, something happens, they change, the, 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 the uh, environment starts to change and they, they start to take root and they start to grow, you know, they germinate. And I think that we forget, um, we, or most of us don't even recognise this kind of a season because, again, you know, we have in one, some ways we've taken, you know, the seasons of God and we've, we've altered them. You know, we've mm. kind of made spring into the planting planting season. And, and actually one of the reasons that we do this, the planting mainly in the spring is because uh, we want to plant a lot of stuff that actually doesn't necessarily grow in the mm. climates that we're wanting it to grow in. You know, and of course I could talk about a lot of other things that, you know, kind of uh, lessons that I've learned from that. But, you know, the seasons, I, I, I have, I've learned in, a huge amount from the seasons and, um, you know, kind of uh, that congruity, at least in the Northern Hemisphere, you know, with the uh, the liturgical calendar. I, I, I mean, to be honest, growing up in the Southern Hemisphere um, and in a non-liturgical church, I had very little understanding of the liturgical calendar. Right. Um, and it, it was really when I came to the Northern Hemisphere for my first celebration of, of East, well, when I came to the Northern Hemisphere and was here uh, for Easter for the first time, that it was like it was this incredible revelation for me. You know, suddenly, of course, everything is bursting into bloom. And I'm thinking, oh, this is what the Easter story is all about, you know, because I'd never experienced that before. Yeah. And it was just a very profound experience that, um, yeah, has, again, I think was one of the things that really started to tie my life uh, to the liturgical calendar and recognising the importance of, you know, again, it's this thing of integrating the liturgical calendar with the calendar of the world in which we live. Yeah, yeah. Now, um, I must say, having said that, uh, I do like to mess with things a little bit. And maybe it's because I I'm an Australian and you probably know that Australians love to mess with things. You know, I mean, I think yeah. that's one of the cultural traits. But also because I grew up in the Southern Hemisphere, I'm often asking the question, you know, how do we interpret this in the Southern Hemisphere, or how do we interpret this for people that live at the equator? You know, how do we interpret it for people that don't live in a place where 
you know, the agricultural rhythms are the way that the liturgical calendar tends to be set up. So one of the things that I encourage people to do is to, you know, to grab hold of the liturgical calendar and think, how could I reinvent this for the context in which I live? Um, and or even for the season of life that I am in. Um, you know, I, I, I get bored with, you know, doing the same practices all the time. Mm. And so I go through seasons where I want to see things change, which I think is healthy. You know, um, when I was writing my book, God Space, uh, I came across, uh, interestingly enough, uh, a book by an anthropologist who talked about the fact that we need two kinds of rituals in our life. Uh, rituals of restoration and rituals of transformation, he talked about. And rituals yeah. of restoration, you know, basically they're the things that we do on a regular basis that kind of ground us in the things that matter to us. You know, I mean, and they can be daily devotional, you, you know, in a faith perspective, daily devotions, uh, weekly Sabbath, uh, maybe retreats at other times or things like that. But then we also need what he calls rituals of transformation. And these are the the kind of less frequent kind of things that we do that um, really um, stop our faith from stagnating. You know, they kind of bring flexibility back into it. And they say, okay, I'm growing. My practices need to change to reflect that. You know, and one of the practices that Tom and I have um, that we do on a regular basis, usually three or four times a year, is that we go on what we call refocusing retreats. Uh, we go away for a couple of days. Literally, you know, it's not a silent retreat. It's not a retreat, you know, just primarily to connect to God, but it really is a retreat where we ask the question, how well have we been doing uh, with the practices that we believe that God has asked us to adhere to and what do we need to change in order to more effectively follow God uh, in the place we're at in our lives now. Um, and I uh, have connected that as well to part of my Sabbath practice because it, um, I love to journal, but I'm not one of these people who can journal every day. I just journal once a week on a Sunday. Uh, and I ask myself four basic questions. Um, what am I grateful for? What am I struggling with? What do I think bears the fingerprints? Well, actually, I've changed them a little bit in the last few weeks. Uh, the third question being, um, in what ways uh, have, you know, how well have I uh, followed through with the disciplines that I've committed to? Uh, often, mm. you know, a question that kind of has me squirming a bit. And the last question I've been asking is, how have I been paying attention to my life? In other words, looking back over the week and reflecting on where has God been speaking to me during this week uh, that I haven't been paying attention to mm. or that I've been paying attention to well? Uh, again, often an embarrassing question to ask myself, but boy, I'm finding it's a very rich question to ask yeah. myself as well. Um, you, you know, and thinking about, you know, where haven't I been paying attention? Um, and again, you know, it's it's a really good question to ask ourselves to help us uh, develop that slower pace of life and that more reflective pace of life yeah. that I think is very important for us too. Um, mm. yeah. And which I, have, I certainly haven't always been good at. 
Um, no. You know, so no. it's, it's no, exactly. Yeah, I don't think many of us are good at that, to be honest. I mean, like, yeah, I, was, I, I read a book earlier this year um, called um, How to Be Here uh, by Rob Bell, and um, it's about being fully present in our own lives and slowing down enough and paying attention to what's going on and to, what's, to the world around us and to the blessings that we have and to who we are and to what's going on in our own lives. And... Um, you know, I've tried that. I've tried that slowing down thing. You know, I went to the park um, and sat. I've told this story before, but I sat on um, I sat on this bench and I looked up at this tree which is above me in this park, and I started paying attention to this one leaf and started to notice all the different colours, the shapes, the you know, even from quite, it was quite high up, I could still notice all this stuff because I was paying attention. Yes, and that's, yeah, and it's, it's, it's just a, a, an incredible revelation, isn't it? You yeah. Know, that kind of an experience, yeah. And you can do it with anything, you know? I mean, you can pay attention, yeah, to a leaf. I mean, you can pay attention to the cup of coffee sitting in front of you. You can pay attention. I, I mean, it doesn't have to be any specific thing. You know, I think every single thing in life um, can teach us about God, can teach us about life mm. if we take that time to pay attention. Um, and sometimes having, you, you know, this is where I found that my Sunday practice of having questions that I ask myself has been good because what it's done is that it helps to bring me back to that discipline each week of saying, how am I paying attention to my life? And it's like, oops, missed a lot of opportunities this last week to pay attention to my life. And so hopefully the next week I will do a little bit better, you know. Um, I don't always do a little bit better, but at least I'll try. Uh, and, and, of course, that's what this is about. It's, it's not about, you, you know, hitting ourselves over the head when we don't get things right. It's about learning at each point, you know, at each step of the way to be a little bit better than we were before. Uh, and to allow God to speak to us, um, you know, in ways that we haven't been listening before. Um, and it really is a wonderful re revelatory kind of process, I find, um, mm. that it continues to enrich me um, in ways that, yeah, I mean, mm. are more special every year of my life, I think. So. Yeah, I mean, how often do we, how often do we look back at our lives? even the last year, and we see where we were then and where we are now, and we think, wow, what has, what has happened to me between then and now? What has God, oh, this God has been doing this, you know, or something happens now, and it makes you think about what something that's been, and then you start to look at everything within the context of what's just happened, and suddenly you see that there's a whole arc to what's going on. You know, because I've, I've definitely been seeing that the last few months, you know, that seeing now how God has been taking me on this journey um, from where I was to, to where I am now and to where I might be going. And suddenly you suddenly have a moment where you see all of that. And actually there's this story being written and that you're just and you're participating in this story. Um, and it's yeah, it's incredible. Oh, those times of reflection are so important because I think it is uh, those kinds of experiences that help us to connect the dots and say, hey, you know, God has been at work in my life. Uh, and here's what I can see that God's been doing to this point. 
Um, and, you know, that gives us faith then to believe that God's going to continue working in our lives. Um, it also often shows us that the ways that God's works in our lives are not the ways we predict that God is going to work in our lives. So hopefully it also enables us to relax and allow God to do something that we hadn't anticipated, um, which is also very healthy for us, of course, because, you know, um, God doesn't work in the ways that we think God should work. You know, that's certainly been the story of my life. I mean, if um, when I graduated from medical school, it never occurred to me um, that the journey of my life would be anything like what it has been. You know, I mean, I thought um, I would probably settle into practice in Sydney um, and that I would get married, have a family, um, you know, and mm. maybe go and do a little bit of short-term mission somewhere along the line. Well, of course, none of those things is what happened. But, boy, I have had the most incredible life um, and, you know, one that continues to be enriched in ways that I never expected. Um, you know, and I could look back and I could say, oh, you know, regretting things that I'd hoped for. That's a possibility. Or I can look back and I can say, wow, you know, God has done incredible things in my life. And I think we all have those opportunities. We can see the things that didn't happen that we'd hoped for, or we can look back and we can see the things that did happen that we'd never anticipated and were far greater than anything we could ever expect it. You know, I think, I think we both, we have those opportunities. Yeah, and it's so uh, easy to miss the... Yes things that God is giving you and the opportunities that God is opening up to you because you can let the past get so powerful and say, oh, you know, uh, like for me it would be um, I lost I lost a parent. My, I, had, my, I grew up in a broken home. I, I was bullied at school. I, you know, all these kind of things and you sabotaged my life, God, kind of thing. You could, you know... But actually, what you if you stop that and just say, okay, just be quiet. Actually, you know, you have a job, um, you have a great church, great friends, you have all these opportunities opening up to you. God is doing stuff in your life now. God is blessing you now. You have all these amazing things now, and all those bad things that happened to you, they're real and they impacted you. And but you can't let them dominate your life twenty years on. You know, and it's about being. Those are the things. You know, it's interesting. I, I tell people that my favorite part of the garden is the compost pile. Um, and, and I will never forget, you know, when I first started composting uh, and putting everything into the compost bin and then coming back three months later and seeing the transformation that had ha taken place, literally the garbage, you know, from the kitchen, from the garden that I had put in there had been transformed into what gardeners call black gold you know the the most valuable stuff in the garden came out of the garbage and I think you know I think maybe that's part of the way that God works in our lives where God takes the garbage in our lives mm -hmm. um and transforms it you know I mean I came from a home in which there was a lot of violence um you know a lot of stuff that I had to work through uh but God has transformed that um into you know something new um i think of <laughs> i think of john 
um, and James in the Bible, you know, called the sons of thunder. <laughs> and I think, yeah, I wonder if they came from a home similar to mine where there was a lot of violence, uh, a lot of anger, mm. uh, you know, which is certainly what I was. And yet John becomes the apostle of love. And I think, you know, that is the kind of transformation that God wants to make in all of our lives, you know, that, that garbage. And as I said, there's nothing in the Bible that says that there's that garbage there. But I think, yeah, I, I, I suspect there could have been some garbage that made them sons of thunder. And yet God transformed it into an apostle of love. And I think that that's the kind of transformation that God is able to do in all of our lives if, if we let God, you know. But the garbage has got to be broken down in mm. order for that to happen. You know, it's not like God paints over the garbage. Uh, that's not what happens in the compost pile. It is literally broken down, you know, totally uh, to become that transformed uh, substance into um, the black gold. And, and I do think that's part of what God wants to do. Mm. God's a God of transformation. Um, yes. you, you know, yeah. and, and everything in our lives needs to be transformed. Um, some of us, you know, have more obvious things than others uh, that need to be transformed, but we all have lives that need to be transformed. Uh, and, and the amazing thing is that God both can and want, wants to and can do that if we put ourselves in God's hands. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And I think the other thing for me is, as a writer, I've noticed that some of the most powerful creative work is often birthed in pain and suffering and darkness. You know, like, um, yeah, it's just, it's just so much great art comes out of that. And because, and, and when you create something that, come, that comes out of that, actually it can help connect with other people who are going through that and help them on their journey. So it's not wasted, you know. Um, like my experiences with my losing my parent have been, have allowed me to um, serve and bless and love and support friends who have lost parents, you know. And that's in my writing, but also just, just in my, just in how I am with them, you know, and in my relationship with them, you know, it's, so nothing is wasted, you know, and um, we have to remember that, and it's not, when you're in the midst of it, it's not easy to remember that, but as time passes, you will, you know, come out of that, and that will, and God will not waste it, he will use it. Exactly, yeah, well, it's true, you know, and I think one of the things that we forget, I think it's very easy for us to read the Bible and only see the, um, uh, you know, the happy things, the mm. happy stories. But even, you know, take the book of Psalms. Um, you know, I think something like 30% of them are Psalms of lament, mm. you know, and, and we have a tendency to forget that. Um, you know, that God is not, and, and God is a God of the um, the light and the darkness. Um, I don't know if you have read Barbara, Barbara Brown Taylor's book, Learning to Walk in the Dark. Um it's a profound book, uh, you know, where literally she did all kinds of exercises uh, and experiences to, to see what it's like to be in places that are totally dark. And out of that to, you know, kind of share her own journey of how God had 
uh, been with her in the midst of dark situations. It's a book I'd highly recommend. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I think, you know, darkness, you know, I mean, Genesis says God created the light and God created the dark. Mm. <laughs> Night and day, you know. Um, and it's like, okay, uh, we, we want to stay in the light, you know. And, again, we even live in a culture that kind of um, doesn't really fully ex- allow us to experience dark. You know, we turn on lights so that we don't have to experience the dark. We never learn the joy, in, even in the physical sense, of what the darkness can give to us. Uh, you know, because we don't see the stars properly when we uh, put on artificial lights. Uh, we, you know, there are lots of things that we don't experience um, when we want to live too much in the light. And, um, it, you know, and I think that's the same spiritually. If we only want the good things, if we only want the highs, uh, we, we miss so much of what it is that God is wanting to do within us and do through us as well. Uh, and, and one of the things that it often stirs is creativity. You're right. Mm. I think um, um, that, you, you know, we, we're very shallow people if we haven't suffered. Uh, and we don't have those, that creative um, beauty, I don't think, you know, that, that comes out of suffering so often either. And, of mm. course, that could, you know, be another whole session here to talk about some of those things. But... Um, Oh, we should do that. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. Well, give us a few months and maybe we can do another one. Yeah, uh, absolutely. It's it's important. I mean, and and I think, you know, one of the the joys of my life over the last few years has been discovering very creative ways to express my faith, you know, from, you know, creating liturgical gardens to painting on rocks to writing prayers, um, you know, things that um, just have in many ways have come out of, I think, I, I don't think could have been expressed if I hadn't faced up to some of the pain and the, the suffering from my past life. And even if, if I hadn't connected to the pain and suffering of other people's lives either, you know, I think both of those aspects are important and that they bring out so much of the creativeness of who we're meant to be uh, and who God has created us to be. Um, yeah. So it's very important, yeah. Yeah, so um, just tell us a bit about the, the creative work that you do. I mean, you've written a few books and you've got a blog, so just tell us a bit about that. Um, well, it started for me, um, again, the Celtic Christian spirituality, you know, connecting to the prayers and loving the prayers and then what, thinking, oh, I think I'd like to just rewrite this prayer a little bit. And then that became writing prayers and then it's like, oh, these prayers need visual images. And I've always loved um, photography. So then it became incorporating photographs with my prayers. Yeah. Uh, and then it's kind of like um, I started, um, well, you know, wanting to connect my spirituality to my gardening as well. Uh, and, you know, thinking about practices started with Advent uh, four or five years ago, you know, thinking about, well, I like Advent wreaths, but they're not quite me. Uh, and thinking, you know, what is a symbol or what could I use that would be more me? And that was, I started, you know, I created my first Advent garden, uh, which became kind of a, 
um, and, and as a fluid thing, you know, it looks different every year. I create some kind of a garden um, for Advent, and then that's become creating a garden for seasons, different seasons um, of the year, um, and incorporating it with another practice that I have kind of started to, um, you know, for myself, which is painting on rocks. Mm. Um, I, and it's fascinating. One of the exercises I do when I do uh, spiritual workshops is I uh, suggest usually, you know, the best is to have people go out, collect a rock, come back and paint it. Uh, sometimes I provide rocks, you know, it depends on obviously the situation in which we're working. Yeah. But part of what I've found is people love to write on rocks. Uh, and it's a very special kind of record. I don't know if it's partly because of the permanence of it um, or what it is, but there's something that connects to our spirituality in that painting on rocks or even the gathering of rocks. You know, tremendous spiritual significance. And, of course, you look at the Bible and, you know, people often, of course, you know, um, created piles of rocks as memorials. And I think that's something that we connect to as well. So... Yeah, you know, part of what I've found is that once we start, you know, um, giving life to the spark of creativity within us, it blossoms in ways that we never anticipated. Uh, you know, and it could blossom in art, it could blossom in music, it could blossom in photography, it could blossom, I, I mean, anything, you know, anything in, in writing, just the sky's the limit. And sometimes, you know, different seasons, a different area of creativity kind of comes to life more for us too. But I think that God intends all of us to be creative in our, our expression of a, a spiritual um, disciplines as well. And, and, you know, not just to sit and read the Bible, but to give in expression to that in some kind of creative form. Um, I'm having dialogue at the moment with a woman who does nature journals, uh, spiritual nature journal. I mean, it, it's just profound. And I think another area of creativity, you know, when I was a teenager and I was taught to journal, it was basically you get a book and you write things down. Mm. <clears throat> you know, now people journal in photographs, uh, in art, um, in scrapbooks, in, you know, kind of, again, the sky's the limit. And exploring creativity in terms of journaling, I think, is something that is uh, another area of creative exploration that many of us need to do as well. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So I, I definitely want to encourage people to just connect with um, Christine on her blog. It's, God, it's Godspace, isn't it? Godspace.com? Godspace, Godspace-msa.com. Right. Um, is the URL for the blog, and that's where I post. Um, I I post on it once a week. I do a meditation Monday, uh, and it, it started as my personal blog, but has become very much a community blog. Yeah, and I have you know forty fifty people uh, that post on a regular basis as well. Yeah, yeah, I've done um, that too. And you've been one of them, James, which has been great. And, um, yeah. you know, hope, hope that you will be again in the future. Oh, yeah, absolutely, for sure, um, without a doubt. Because we have, you know, so much to learn from others. And when we confine ourselves to 
you know, listening only to our own voice or to the voice of a few people. I think part of what I've loved about the development of God space is that, uh, you know, the people that contribute to it are literally all over the world. Uh, and we're working, you know, to expand that even. You know, at this point, I think we've got people from eight different countries. And I'm hoping that by the end of 2016, we might have been able to double that. Because I think that, you know, the the more global mm-hmm. our um, pool of people that we learn from, um, you, you know, the, the, the healthier we will become as individuals as well, as well as a, a global community. And that's part of what we're very much trying to do on God's space. Um, so that that's the main point of connection. I also um, <clears throat> kind of helped coordinate uh, several pages on um, the internet. We have a, a daily prayer um, site page called Light for the Journey. Uh, and that, you know, we've been just posting prayers once a day, but you know, the hope is that that will... Um, increase, you know, over the next year or so as well that we'll be posting at least twice a day and again trying to recruit others that love to write prayers. Uh, John Birch, that you might know, writes a prayer once a week. He's um, a Welsh um, friend that I've never met but writes beautiful Celtic-style prayers. Uh, And if you don't know him, you need to know him. Um, And uh, others that we're slowly recruiting to be a part of that page uh, have a garden page called To Garden with God um, that also came out of a book of garden reflections I did by the same name. Um, And then we have the Mustard Seed Associates uh, page as well. That's the third page that I helped coordinate where, you know, the focus is more on, um, you know, kind of creative things that church and community and, and such can do in order to be more effective as God's people around the world. Um, so always got lots to do, but hopefully, um, things that, you know, are both enriching my own life and the lives of others too. Awesome. That's so awesome. Um, so, it's been so good talking to you, Christine. I just, I I always learn so much from interacting with you. It's just, um, uh, it's just a fountain of, uh, knowledge and wisdom. It's brilliant. And, uh, we'll definitely have you back, um, because I think there's so much more we could talk about. I'd love to. Yeah, I I enjoy doing things like this, and I find that it's a two-way thing because doing something like this stirs new questions in me often so that, you know, then I want to reflect on those and, Mm. you know, hopefully something else comes out of it, you know. Um, And and you've certainly asked some good questions here for me to to continue to reflect on too. Thank you. Thank you. Um, So just to close, if there was like one word of spiritual direction that you could pass on somebody, um, if there's only one thing you could say, what what would that be? I would say ask questions, don't try to give the answers. That's probably the biggest lesson I've learned in my life is that, um, you know, what we should do is be asking questions and helping others to be framing the right questions for their lives rather than trying to give them answers. Wow. Wow. Brilliant. Okay, thank you, Christine. That's Christine Stein, everyone. And um, I hope you've enjoyed listening to this as much as I have. And um, take care and we'll talk soon.